Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour. I'm Michael Apple. It's Thursday, the 3rd of March. The team is in the Drakensberg this week for the Biz News Conference, or BNC3. We're going to be providing you with a wide variety of interviews and perspectives, coupled, of course, with all the international business news you need to know from our partner, the Financial Times. All right, let's get to your news headlines. Rightrock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movement in the markets means change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. The United Nations General Assembly voted to condemn the Russian invasion of Ukraine in a two-day-long emergency session this week, where nations worldwide debated the conflict. The GA adopted a resolution that condemns Russia for the invasion and demands that it immediately withdraw from Ukraine. Putin launched the full-scale invasion of Ukraine on February the 24th. Moscow has pleaded self-defense under Article 51 of the UN Charter. The resolution, which is not enforceable but serves as a strong political statement, was supported by 141 out of 193 member states. Five countries, including Russia, opposed and 35 countries, including South Africa, abstained. ANC Chair and Energy and Mineral Resources Minister Gwede Montache says that he will challenge the findings of the latest Zondo Commission report that implicates him in a corruption scandal surrounding government tenders and favours with a security company. Montache's stance goes against the party's public comments about the commission and even his own views of renewal within the party. The minister previously expressed support for the commission and its findings and the clampdown on corruption happening inside the ANC and its structures. 16 billion rand in Sunroll tenders have been formally announced but not yet awarded, some even after a year, and major contractors don't know why. Analysts estimate the total value of delayed Sunroll contracts could be up to 25 billion rand. JC-listed construction companies said the delays are occurring despite President Sol Ramaphosa's repeated assurances that infrastructure is central to the government's economic reconstruction and recovery. Some companies have said that the delays might be due to Sunrail's board not having the correct experience to determine whether a bid is competitive or not and whether the contractor will be able to complete the work. And now it's on to my colleague Justin for the market report. The JSEOL share index was up at 77,900. In the price action, the miners are in the green yet again. Kumba, Glencore and African Rainbow Minerals well up on the day. A few large multinationals are down on the day. Process, Mondi, MediClinic and British American Tobacco. The Jelta Crypto Basket is 3% lower on the day. In the currency markets, the Rand is stronger against all the major currencies to 15 Rand 25 cents to the dollar, 20 Rand 42 cents to the pound and 16 Rand 91 cents to the euro. Gold is flat at $1,930 an ounce. Kruger Rand will put you back approximately 31,000 Rand. Brent crude is up, yes, again, at $116 a barrel. And Bitcoin will cost you 660000 rand. In the financial news, first round, South Africa's biggest bank by market value 
said first half of the year profits jumped 41% as South Africa's economic recovery saw impairment charges fall from their pandemic levels, allowing the company to unwind credit provisioning for COVID-19-related losses. The owner of FNB, West Bank and Rand Merchant Bank said profit for the six months to end December 2021 climbed to 17 billion rand, up from 12 billion rand in the corresponding period. Basic and diluted normalized headline earnings per share, otherwise known as HEPs, rose 43% to 2 rand 80, up from 1 rand 97 in the previous half-year period. That took first rand's normalized headline earnings per share, a measure of profitability before the effect of one-off items, to a level that was 13% above the 2 rand 50 a share figure it reported for the six months to end December 2019, its last pre-pandemic interim period. Andre Grunewald, you are the yeah. ambassador for South Africa in Ukraine. Where are you now? What's going on? We are actually busy moving out of, of, of the country. Um, there are there seems to be some uh, opportunities for you know humanitarian corridors for people to move out, um, and we are a little bit concerned about uh, the attacks in the city, and you know that it might turn for the worse. Um, and, you know, there's some other factors as well, the economy and, you know, possible looting. But we have not seen that because of the, the curfews at night. Um, but we are, you know, rather safe than sorry. Okay. So we are moving out with a, with a, with a convoy of motors. Oh, so are you, in, are you in a car at the moment? Yeah, I'm oh. driving. Oh, my goodness. Are you driving? I'm driving. Oh, okay, Andre, thank you. Sorry, thank you for speaking out to us. Um, what was it like these last past days? Do, are you getting all the South Africans out now? We are trying. Um, we have um, the embassies assisting, and of course, people, um, there are volunteers that are also assisting, um, because the whole thing now is, is people phoning in and, 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 and then trying to get them across the borders. Um, and of course, once they across the borders, is trying to you know, funnel them into an area and to at least know where they are, um, you know, that's kind of what the first phase of the process is for now. Because you're trying to keep all the South Africans, once they cross the border, together? Yeah, not necessarily trying to get them together. I mean, we're not keeping people that have their own means, and there's quite a number of people that are moving on to family or friends or, or whatever, and they, or they're flying out. But those that, that do need um, further assistance. So, so and of course, our ambassador, I spoke to her this morning, our ambassador in Poland is, is, is at the border uh, between um, Poland and, and Ukraine. And she's called? Sorry? What, what, is, what is her name? I'll send you a, I'll send you a detail. Okay, thank you so, so much. And so do you think there are more South Africans still left in Ukraine? No, I think the bulk are, are coming out and have come out. Um, the, the problem that we have is the fact that most of the South Africans um, that we have are people that have registered, um, students, and they've, most of them have, you know, registered even during the COVID, COVID um, difficulties. So we have our, uh, them on the list. But now, all of a sudden, and because of all the, the TV news and, and, and so on, people are coming out of the woodworks and, and, and you know, and saying that they are here. In the past, people would not even register at the embassy because they've been marrying, married to, to, to Ukrainians and they've integrated into the, into the community. And so um, we don't really know about them. So we can't give you a, a specific number, but the people that have been 
registered at the embassy. I think most of them are, are, are out. Those who are not out are at the borders. The borders are clogged. The, the, the congestion is incredible. And, and, of course, our ambassadors are at the borders or, or consular uh, officials trying to assist them to get through. Yes, we've had reports of, of, of some of the students managing to get to Hungary. So you are heading for Poland. Poland, that's where you, you are no, going. No, no, no. Uh, we are driving safe, uh, south because there seems to be a, 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 a corridor. Um, and, it, you know, just to get out of, of, of Kiev, so we're driving south. And then we will, we will at some stage make a call to see either to go to Romania, Moldova, or even turn to, to Hungary. So, Andre, but we have in the convoy some yeah, different embassies. Oh, so, so that you are all embassy personnel in this convoy? Yeah, there, there are some other people as well. I'm sitting here with a journalist that's making notes as we are, are speaking. Oh, that's incredible. And, and uh, do you have an idea <laughs> which, which other countries are evacuating? Um, with us in the group, we have colleagues from, from Hungary and we've got colleagues from um, Nigeria and, and South Africa. 200. And some private people, yeah. So, so do you feel safer now, Andre? I mean, you've been in your bunker for, 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 for a couple of days now after the attack started. Do you feel yeah, a bit safer I, now? I actually do. Uh, you know, once you get out, and this is the thing that, you know, that we all experience, when you stay in your house and you see everything on the on the media and, 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 and on, you know, on, even on the personal uh, media, it just scares you. Now that we are out, obviously it's not a safe situation. It, it, you know, we're going through checkpoints all the time. Um, it, 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 but you see people walking in the, in the streets, um, you know, so this, I've never seen the streets this empty in my life. Um, but, but you still see people in the streets. And so that, that, that gives you a little bit of hope. We've, we are outside of the city now, so it's open. Um, open field, so you know that always gives you that sense. I come from the Kuru, so you know I'm happy to see some some horizon. Yeah, South Africans always want to see a horizon. Andre, can you just quickly take us back? I know you're in a pressurized situation right now. What was it like in Kiev um, these last days? It's scary, um, and you know the bombing and the explosions, and and um, the, the thing that I think for all of us is. Probably the most harrowing is the the sirens um, that goes off. Um, you only hear of those things in movies. So when you hear that, that is that is scary. And of course, if you hear bombs falling closer to your where you live and the house shakes, that that's a scary thing as well. So so for us, it, and 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 at night, of course, there's more explosions at night than in day. So every you know morning when the sun comes up, it's uh, it's an incredible feeling. Yeah, can I can can imagine. Have you seen casualties on the streets? No, no, not seen that. Fortunately, we no. are hearing about fights in the streets in, in, in areas where our, our some of our staff are, are living, um, but not uh, in in the area where we live. We've not seen that. It's more in the in the central part of the city, um, and now seeing all of these blockades and so on, it kind of makes you know a little bit of sense as well. Andre, is there any hope that the peace might break out, that there might be a ceasefire? We have no choice. We have to. We have to believe that 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 we will have that. Um, there's just no other way. Um, this is not a, a, a condition that people can live in. Um, the stress um, and everything is not something that that you can that you can have. So so 
yeah, all hope on that, that cool heads will prevail um, and that we can move um, through this process, yeah. Is, is that the government position as well? You, you rather want a negotiations, that you're not, choos- or you, you're not choosing sides? I mean, I, you guys have seen what the president said um, and, and the minister. It's all about, you know, dialogue, mediation, um, and our position has always been we wouldn't want the, the, the parties to speak so that we can get to a lasting, uh, a lasting solution. Yeah. Andre, we're not going to keep okay. you because... Uh, can you see shelling at Thank the you. moment? Can you see shelling at the moment? No, or? no shelling. So we're the- just going through another... Every, I think every about five kilometers, we're going through military um, blockade. So how far are you from the border? How far do you have to drive? Now, I'm, I'm not sure, but, you know, it's going to be a long time. It depends on which border we're going to, um, and that will be, you know, dependent on the situation that we are seeing. Um, but to the southern border, probably are 400, 500 kilometers to Romania or Moldova. Okay, Andre Grunewald, the ambassador for South Africa in Ukraine. Well, keep safe, please. And thank you so much, even in this pressurized situation, okay. for speaking to us. Thanks, Andre. Andre, bye, donkey. Blijf veilig. Bye, donkey. It's Thursday evening. It's the Business Report here on Nova 103.5. Time now for our Biz News Weekly Wrap, and uh, we're going to take a look at uh, what's going on on the website, biznews.com. You can go check out all the biggest stories in Southern Africa. And fortunate enough to be at the Biz News Conference here in the Berg. Uh, some fascinating speakers through the course of uh, yesterday and today, and we chat with uh, Justin Rowe Roberts. Justin, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Gary. Thanks for having me. You've uh, attended most of the sessions. Anything stand out as being particularly interesting or, or mind-bending? All of the speakers have been incredible. I've really enjoyed the week as a whole. Stafford Macy this morning was especially an awesome conversation. He's the ex-Google CEO. Very interesting. Unpacking cryptocurrencies, uh, finance and investment is something that I'm very interested in. Although the blockchain technology, uh, I'm yet to understand. So chatting to um, Stafford thereafter was also very insightful. I had someone say to me once, do, do you understand electricity? <laughs> and I said, no, I don't think I do. And he said, well, science doesn't, but it doesn't stop us from seeing what it does. And I'm, that's the point. Exactly. I'm not a techie either, but who is a techie is David Shapiro, and we'll be hearing a bit from him on growth investing. David has done phenomenally well investing in the big US mega cap stocks that have done so successfully well. However, they now find themselves under a bit of pressure for various reasons. So uh, we're obviously recording this uh, sometime during the day on, on day two at the conference. All right, let's get on to what's happening on business. Uh, big story this week, PSG deciding to delist. Um, that's uh, obviously a, a massive blow for the JSE in general. If a stock like that decides to disappear um, just in terms of valuations. But also uh, heralds one of 25 delistings that the JSE's had to deal with. Let's start with PSG getting off the stock exchange. Should we read something nefarious into this? Simply put, it's a sad day for corporate South Africa when PSG announced its intentions to delist. They've been listed since 1995. Visionary founder Yanni Mouton listed the company at seven cents a share. They've now grown to a multi-billion rand company investing in a wide variety of assets in South Africa, solely exposed to South Africa. This is a South African Inc. business Whereas a lot of the other companies, the mega big companies on the JSC are multinationals. They earn their profits offshore. This is one of the few South African Inc. companies. As a result of exposure to the broader economy, things have been tough for PSG. 
and they're an investment holding structure. Investment holding structures have fallen out of favor in its entirety. Their net asset value is worth X amount. However, they trade at a discount to 30% of that. The market is essentially saying that for various reasons, such as the double tax trap, capital gains tax and dividends tax, as well as too many entry points within their stable, a lot of their investments are listed. So if I wanted to invest, for instance, in their education unit, Curro, I could buy direct shares of Curro instead of buying it through PSG, although I am getting it at a discount. It's huge news. It's going to put pressure on other big companies such as Remgro, Naspis, and Prosys. They're also operating at large discounts, and their management teams are under huge, tremendous pressure to unlock value for shareholders. Okay. So it's a guys have invested in these companies because they believe the founders or the guys running them have some sort of prescient view on the world. And if we follow Yanni or Pete now, uh, he gets it right more than we do. Uh, but we're also paying a lot for head office cost and obviously a discount on the on the exchange. We I was talking to David Shapiro earlier this morning, just talking about how the markets aren't always rational, uh, and no market's perfect. So let's then talk about how how this impacts the broader trend. Twenty five D listings on the JSC. Is there something that the stock exchange can do? This is obviously a negative trend for them as a market that make money out of listings, not delistings. Uh, they need more people to want to list. But that seems to be the opposite at the moment. What can they do about it? Exactly. So I think it's pertinent to point out that the delisting trend is predominantly within the small to mid-cap space. This is why the PSG announcement is such big news. This is one of the biggest companies on the local bus. For them to leave, it's a watershed moment, and this could prompt other big delistings. The reason for the delisting trend in the small to mid-cap space is, for various reasons, predominantly liquidity. Companies are unable to raise money. Therefore, the costs of being listed, which are burdensome and onerous, and the requirements that you have to follow as a listed entity, which stifles a lot of opportunity, simply put, the costs do not outweigh the benefits. And, um, I mean, another huge area of, of, of interest for investors on the stock exchanges is that they're typically, if they are listed, it's hell of a hard to be compliant. So compliance, uh, we've seen ratchet up. Uh, but we were fascinated this morning again listening to Bernard Mostert on the Tacky Town story. Being listed is no guarantee that those numbers are real, uh, as we saw through Steinhoff's uh, collapse and, and, of course, affecting almost every fund in, in the country. So compliance another big issue for listing. Compliance is a huge issue. This is something that Pete Mouton has put a lot of pressure on the JSE. He has said that they need to lessen their onerous, burdensome listing requirements. The companies, this compliance stifles opportunity, it stifles uh, decision-making, it stifles growth. Um, although it is needed, we've seen scandals such as Steinoff, Tongot, and EOH, and the, the shareholder destruction um, that has come out of those cases. And, and that's hard for the JSC to deal with because technically that's, that's the security net. Is if they're trading on our stock exchange, you can trust them. Clearly you can't. So let's let's perhaps um, uh, talk about something that's connected to this, and this is another darling of uh, of the recent runs, is, is the Purple Group with Easy Equities. They've effectively allowed man in the street to invest 10 bucks in one hundredth of a share, so effectively democratizing the, the route to investment. Uh, their share price uh, was, was pretty stellar for a while. It's dropped back around about 20%, 25%. See, there's been a slight recovery of the, of the last few days. Uh, is this a trend that we're going to see, as we've discovered this morning with blockchain, 
that uh, there's these multiple routes of access also to the market. The JSC doesn't have this kind of dominance that that they used to have. And I'll just add another thing in there. We saw we've seen the creation of the Cape Town Stock Exchange in the last year, um, off the back of of other licensed exchanges. Um, are we seeing a changing of the way the financial markets work? I think we are. I think we've seen since March 2020 a big retail base of shareholders have come into the market. That has been a global trend, and it has been a trend that has happened in South Africa. If I go back to my conversations with Charles Savage of the Purple Group, they're generating around 60,000 new clients a month, 1,500 clients a day. That's a massive number. They had 1.4 million customers. They are changing the game, Purple Group. However, Purple Group is more than just a brokerage business. They're going to use the discovery model, that sticky, loyal customer base of 1.4 million, and go into other avenues, whether that be Easy Ventures, which would be their venture capital arm, Easy Lending, Easy Crypto, which has already been implemented. There's so many exciting new projects, and Charles is a very innovative CEO. There's a reason that that share price is running, and the company is just generally doing great things for South African consumers and people in the marketplace. So you're still seeing a big upside for Purple Group? So valuation-wise, it's at the high end. There's a lot of optimism priced in. Charles knows that not all of these avenues that he d goes through will succeed. That's just the nature of business. However, there just needs to be another easy equities in order for that share price to continue to grow. But however, the valuation is on the high end. And there's uh, lots of other big stories on the site um, at the moment. Which is your favorite? Uh, Warren Buffett released his shareholder letter. I regard it as prescribed reading for market fanatics. It's only 11 pages. However, at the tender age of 91, uh, it's just great. You've got to read it. You've got to dive into it. I try to do a summation of a thousand words. I did my best. However, you've got to listen or read the Oracle himself. Uh, the uh, Berkshire Hathaway shareholder meeting is on the Saturday, the 29th of April. It's usually four or five hours. Warren Buffett, 91, and Charlie Munger, 98, answer all the questions. Biz News will make sure that we send it out to our community, and I'm very excited for that date. Um, so I'm prepping for that uh, long in advance. All right, brilliant. So <clears throat> there's some summary on the site, and you can go download the letter and read it yourself. Uh, lots more stories. Zondo, just as the gift that keeps on giving, that report, some, uh, some how-to, some easy explainers up on the Biz News site mm -hmm. as well as Raymond Zondo continues to try and alter the course of South Africa, Inc. All of that on biznews.com. I thanks Justin Roberts for joining us this evening. Well, hello, everybody. It's Carrie Adams. It is the Biz News Power Hour, and I'm catching up with Gary Jordan on another update that we do regularly on the harvest for 2022. Gary, hi. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Carrie. Yeah, 155 tons uh, since we last chatted. Oh. And uh, some wonderful, wonderful whites coming into the cellar. And uh, today we've got uh, Molo coming in for our rosé. Okay, perfect. I've got a couple of questions that I wanted to ask you. And I'm just looking up on my, on my notes here because I'm sitting in the Drakensberg at the Biz News Investment Conference, as you know, and we're doing it in a bit of a makeshift studio from here. But the first thing I wanted to ask you, and then you can natter on as much as you like, prediction on finish date for Jordan? Oh, that's difficult to say. It looks like um, a cab might come in at sort of usual times. The rest of the harvest is about 
two to three weeks delayed uh, on, on a normal year. So we're probably looking end of March, I would say. Okay, so that's quite early really, isn't it? Because, I mean, you at Jordan sometimes are still picking into April, aren't you? Yeah, it, it's happened, I think, twice before. Uh, and I could be corrected. You find, might find Petit Verdot, which is the, the last um, uh, variety that we harvest, may still come in then. Yes. And maybe some of the uh, older Cabernet blocks. But, uh, you know, my dad had always said it'll be a race to see who gets Easter first, first you or the Cabernet. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so, anyway, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> Gary, anything that's sort of sticking its head and shoulders out above the rest that's looking beautiful for the 2022 harvest from you? Well, you know, I haven't seen Chardonnay um, and Sauvignon Blanc and Shiraz looking so good um, for probably about five or six years. Really mm. nice, even even ripening, nice full bunches. Um, as you know, we've talked about it before. We had a sort of partly a cool growing season and, and, a, and a bit of rain during the growing side as well. So the yeah. uh, the berries are looking very healthy. They're looking quite plump, um, really nice sort of juice recoveries, uh, yes. not like those very dry uh, 2014 to 18 years, yeah, uh, and 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 really looking good. So I think time will tell when we come to the reds. So you're loving the Chardonnay. I just, I've just been speaking to the best part of 300 people who are all gathered here together in the Berg for this investment investment conference. Some really high rolling, heavy hitting guys, and and some questions that that they put to me um, that clearly right. I think a lot of other South Africans would like answers to. Current selling vintages to buy from Jordan, is there anything that you're going to tip for the biz news community at large as a fantastic vintage? Say Cobbler's Hill, say Nine Yards, say anything really, but these guys like investing in wine. A, anything that they can buy now, and B, do you think that 2022 is going to be an investment vintage? Kerry, yeah, regarding, I'll, I'll answer your last uh, question first. 2022, I think, is going to surprise a lot of people. Um, I think, uh, you know, been a lot of, of problems for some people with mildew and so on. But if you've got that, if you're on top of everything and if you've tramped your vineyards and really looked looked after them, I think it's going to be, hands down, a, a really nice vintage A because it's cool and you've got good acidity to start. So that's always that always helps with an investment wine. Yeah. Um, obviously, the tannin structure and all that I'll let you know as time develops um, yes. and we start making the red wines. But it looks like it could be very good too. You've just got to watch the sorting on cab just so you don't get any green berries in there. Yes. Um, but for right now, um, I would say if you're a if you're a Jordan fan, for instance, our 2019 um, Cabernet Franc, which we made for our um, for you know, initially for our insiders club, yeah, and and ended up get, getting five stars. I think that's a that's a real corker, a really wonderful uh, wine. And Gary, and, if uh, any if any of them uh, wanted to buy that, just whilst we're on that cab, Frank, if any of the business fraternity wanted to buy that cab, Frank, are they allowed to? If they're not an, an sort of insider into the Jordan Club, it's very easy to become an insider, and all you've got to do <laughs> is just constantly. Contact Jordan, and uh, <laughs> okay. and we'll 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 make we'll make sure that you get uh, get in on the on the news. Okay, that's brilliant. Yeah. So that's one box ticked. 
yeah. the current selling vintages from from Jordan before we get back onto the actual harvest. Current selling vintage for Cobblers Hill is twenty nineteen. Yes, twenty nineteen. Uh, we've got eighteen available as well, which is which is really nice and uh, was recently featured at um, uh, you know on on various sort of platforms, whether it was in the uh, um, at um, 47 Paul Mole uh, did a, a TV sort of uh, show on it and plus a few other accolades. Um, and 18 is, is a really nice vintage, uh, as is, you know, with a 19 coming on from there, a little bit more fruit and perhaps a little less structure. Well, for me, um, for me, the 2019 vintage was an absolute cracker. I think that it's going to go yeah. down in the annals of time as a as a really, really good vintage and specifically for for cobblers, which happens to be one of my favorites. If, yeah. would you advise anybody to be purchasing back vintages of nine yards Chardonnay? Definitely. Uh, I mean, our current vintage 2020, we've only just bottled the, the 21 just before the vintage uh, yes. started. Yeah. Uh, 2020 is really quite, quite amazing. I mean, it's got this wonderful limey citrus fruit um, and uh, you know that that sort of wine, I, I think, goes with so many wonderful, rich uh, food dishes. It's the kind of thing that you're not necessarily going to have as a, an aperitif, but really, um, you know, a wonderful wine with a meal, and and will impress your friends too. You'll definitely you can't fail to impress with with nine yards. I opened up a bottle oh, just before round about Christmas was feeling a bit down in the dumps and what better way to cheer yourself up than with a bottle of Jordan's Nine Yards. And I think yeah. I think it was a 2013 vintage. Oh, yeah. And I'm not one of those, you know me, I don't really talk about cellaring South African white wines for too, too long unless, yeah. unless you really know what you're doing, you've got a perfect cellar and you've been advised by the wine the winemaker or the, or the owner. And it was just completely sublime. I really, I think I even sent you a, a message from wherever I was, yes. and said yes, I'm drinking, right. and I, I can't remember the vintage now. I'm being a bit daft. I've still got memory loss, I think, from COVID. I don't know what we're going to do about that. We're going to put something in the <laughs> wine, but it was just just to really make the point to the listeners that Jordan Nine Yards Chardonnay and even your ordinary barrel ferment Chardonnay just does do better if you keep it for a couple of years it's it's just yeah. one of those things uh, we have a we have a mutual friend in the form of Anne Francis and it is yeah. her it's her staple diet I mean Annie moved to England some 10 11 years ago and she still uses Jordan Chardonnay barrel ferment as her staple I, diet I, I know I know and she and she always comes to the wine dinners at, at, the, at the restaurant especially <laughs> then another thing another question that's been asked to me of me a couple of times in the last few days is how do you separate the vinification of organic wines or don't you and I said no I think the whole of Jordan is farmed in a sort of a biodiverse fashion in a sustainable fashion. I don't think you have two separate bottling runs, do you? No, no, it, w it would be, it kind of goes against the grain, really, of what we do. I mean, the, the first bottle uh, that you taste is the same as the last bottle, uh, you know, that you taste from that yes. vintage. Yes. So we, we, we kind of 
do what a lot of other people don't do. We do one bottling at a time. Um, most people don't have the space to be able to do that. But yeah. It does mean that it does mean that your you know your very first bottle that comes off the line and your last bottle comes off your line. Uh, well, obviously we we do a few samples before just so we don't have any drips of water in it once we've cleaned it. Um, yeah. But but in between everything would taste the same. Yeah, it stands to yeah. reason. So just. Give us a bit of a lowdown because I know that you and Kathy have spent much time, effort, and money on ensuring that Jordan is sustainably farmed. And and yeah. what does that mean to the end result in the bottle? Well, you know, I mean, so many things have changed. South Africa is one of the leaders uh, some years back with their sustainability uh, seal and. Uh, there was no other wine region in the world that uh, had had put everything uh, both on paper and um, been able to put it through um, a governmental um, system yes. where you could have traceability like we have in South Africa. Okay. Well, I, I think in many cases, I think there's been little left behind. And the time I've spent in Europe now recently, plus uh, a lot of what we're doing at uh, Mouse Hall in the UK, it's all about regenerative farming. Yeah. And it goes one step beyond sustainability. So I think, you know, as farmers, we're able to sequester carbon more easily than most other industries. Yeah. And you can put that into whether it's in your cover crops or goes into your into your vines or into the trees or the hedges close by. And the biodiversity aspect of it um, and really looking after your soils, not having bare soils. I think that's the most important thing. And what are you uh, what are you is, using for cover yeah. crops at, at Jordan? What do you find to be the most so, sort of successful? So I'm I'm still hoping to find a local indigenous plant that grows low that would work with vines. And there's a few options of sour figs and various other covers. But we we using a uh, a mixture of um, it's called triticale. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a hybrid of wheat and rye. Yeah, and and then and then for for various um, other vineyards, we we then adding either legumes or uh, you know things like lupins, for instance. Yeah, they're supposed to be uh, fabulous. All vetches, mm. yeah, all vetches, and it all depends on whether you need to build up the nitrogen content yeah. or just the carbon content of the soil. Mm. And of course, you've developed complete ecosystems within your vineyard. That's from bird to locust to ladybird to duck to exactly. cow to whatever, so, haven't you? Yeah, and you know what? One of the one of the kind of worst enemies for vines um, or grapevines would be um, a, a louse called a mealybug. Yeah, and it's it kind of it has that sort of white sticky substance on it. And in the past was a huge problem in the South African industry, transmitting things like leaf roll virus and, yeah, and really remember. setting vines back dramatically. So it's been so great to see that this year we had, uh, as we've had for most years, but this year intensively concentrated on it, um, you know, releasing the natural predators for mealybugs rather than spraying anything. Yes, um, what, in the form of wasps, wasps or bees or hornets or something? Yes, both, both wasps and uh, um you get a special kind of ladybirds, which are actually uh, predators. Mm-hmm. They they go after they look for they look for mealybugs particularly. They love them. They gobble them up. And this year, I haven't even seen one bunch with any mealybug on it. That is and, fantastic. And that's quite unusual. That's that's brilliant to hear because I know it was a massive problem in the cave. 
The, okay, so let's, we've answered some of the questions that the business community said to me, speak to Gary about this or ask him that. So that's done. We've got some investments, which you and I are going to chat about um, going further. And I even think that it might be a plan to put together an investment, a mixed case of investment wine from Jordan. Um, for the business community or for, in fact, anybody who's who's interested in buying that. But that's for another subject. Let's get back to the harvest. And what are we, yeah. har- what are we harvesting this week? Okay, so um, we've done a lot of our Chardonnay. All our Chenin is now in. All the Sauvignon Blanc came in. Is, that's usually the first to ripen. Yep. Uh, we have um, we put our first Chardonnays into, um, into barrel already. And uh, okay. I took a little clip, uh, which I got this morning. You'll be able to just hear what that's what that's like. And this is this is literally the uh, sound like throughout our underground cellar. Yes, um, you can hear all the little bubbles coming off, and oh that's my um, so we've we've started fermenting. Yeah, and it's wonderful. You know. It's it's kind of what makes a winemaker tick to get that wonderful um, smell of the of the yeast fermenting. I was just going to say I'm sitting in a makeshift wine. studio here and listening to that bubbling, and I'm just my olfactory memory is going berserk imagining <laughs> that smell, <Yeah>. Gary. <laughs> so you you've already popped some of your shard into barrel, and you finished yeah. your chenin, you finished your sauvignon blanc. Where to next? So we now on to rosé today, um, and uh, and we we did some rosé as well yesterday. Uh, we had one millimeter of rain yesterday and one mil this morning, but that hasn't really affected anything at all. Okay. If anything, it's actually just helped a bit, just to cool everybody down. Yes, uh, and and I was about to say, minutes. what are your temperatures at the moment? What are your sort of current ambient harvesting? Yeah, it's cooler, harvesting? It's much much cooler today. But you know, the last few days was was in the 30s, uh, so it meant early morning harvesting, and by late afternoon, you you could you could feel it was in the 30s. Yeah. So things are, ri- are ripening pretty quickly. Yes. But, and uh, and what yeah. what grape do you vinify your your um, rosé from? So it's uh, it's based on Syrah. We've got vineyards specially planted for for rosé. Yeah. And uh, and it's really nice, um, sort of French clone of Merlot, which. Um, it gives that wonderful sort of cherry fruit, and yeah. uh, and, it, and that's so nice rosé. Gorgeous, soft mouth feel as well. That that Merlot yeah. into rosé, it's lovely. So you harvesting the Merlot or the Syrah today, or both? Syrah yesterday, Merlot today. Okay. And um, yeah, and it and it's looking good. But the the very first Merlots for Reds are going to come in. Looks like maybe by the end of the week. Gosh, okay, so, um, so you're full so steam ahead. That'll be exciting. And, yeah. then, and then what does that leave for the rest of the farm? And you haven't done Still any... quite a lot. Yeah. No, so we, we, we will, we're going to end up with a clash next week. Um, we're going to be doing uh, a bit but later this week too. We're doing our nine-yard Chardonnay. Yeah. And there will still be a bit more Chardonnay. Vineyard block next week, which will then clash with some Merlot, so that's going to be fun. Oh, um, you know, it's 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 always difficult when you're changing from white to red, and yes. it depends on the two harvests. We'll, we'll try and have them uh, harvesting all Chardonnay first, and then Merlot in the afternoon, just because your fermentation temperatures are are, are different, and you yes. need cooler temperatures, obviously, for yes. the Chardonnay. 
Um, but uh, then after that, after the whites are done, uh, we've, we'll then only have the Riesling uh, left, which will come in, looks like, next week. Okay. And then after that, it'll be you know, Merlot, 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 interspersed with a bit of uh, Syrah. Then we've got wonderful Cabernet Franc. Um, I was taking a sample uh, yesterday morning. Oh. Uh, it's still only around 18, 19 degree bricks. Um, so that's still got a way to go, another two yeah. weeks at least. Yeah. And then Cab cab would come in and the, the last being petty below. Yes. Now, just for just for the listeners, because there's lots of people who are so fascinated, and it sounds, well, it is true, that you almost need to become a project manager during harvest time because of this terrible overlapping. You Do you have to <laughs> clean out everything in the cellar? Say you brought in all of the, finished off some Chardonnay yesterday, and yep. today you are doing... Merlot and and Syrah for the for the rosé. Do you have to clean yeah. out all the tanks and wash down the cellar and get everything ready for everything? A, yeah, for a red run or a white run. You can't just mix the two together, can you? No, and you've got to be so careful, Carrie. About uh, you know, if you get you can get bacterial spoilage. You can get uh, a sort of yeast that will that will turn your wine into. It's a really a nasty kind of uh, mm. leathery taste, and even so, it's so important. I mean, one of the one of the big things you do at the end of the day is a big cleanup. Yeah, you've got to wash everything down, um, and uh, you know, just try and be as sterile as possible. Yeah, and what can you wash the cellar at, down with? I mean, is there any sort of? Can, I know that we we do used to in the olden days we used to use sulfur to sort of clean everything out, and it's not to say that that sulfur is yeah, important to the wine, but it was quite a good yeah. cleaner, wasn't it? That's right, and and you know, sulfur does one thing; it just kind of um, it stops yeast fermenting easily. Yeah. But you know, we don't like to work with sulfur is quite volatile on the in the cellar. Mm. Um, the old winemakers used to use chlorine-based cleaners, but I mean that's that's <laughs> terrible. Chlorine will actually, actually stain the steel in the tanks, uh, but also it can cause corked wines. Yes, strange enough. Yeah, it can. So uh, you know, if if you have any traces of that in it, so we try and use uh, sort of real food food-friendly, food-grade um, cleaners, which are. Um, Sort of ionic uh, cleaners, and you can use something like hydrogen peroxide, yeah. uh, which uh, you know most people would know of. But um, it's quite a quite a heavy oxidant. But when uh, you just have traces of it on the tanks uh, or in a wine hose, it literally the uh, the peroxide just turns into uh, into oxygen and water. Yeah, it so, just it just neutralizes uh, everything, it, doesn't it? it? Yeah. It's probably it's probably one of the best cleaners yeah. that you can end up with yes. because there's no trace. Yes. So, how do you plan? It's almost like I say, it's almost like building a constructing a shopping center or something, and which shop is going to open and which shop's going to close and which one's got electricity and which one doesn't. Do you assign specific <laughs> tanks to specific cultivars at the beginning of the harvest? And then, of course, many of the best laid plans go awry when everything comes in on the same day. But how do you how do you make this happen? You must be a magician. Well, you know, you've got to walk around, certainly for the first, well, actually for the most of harvest, you've got to walk around uh, in a kind of quite a calculating way. So we plan 
we plan which of our particularly smaller tanks, which of those are going to be used for special little blocks or experiments or something like that. Yeah. Naturally, I am for as well. We're going to have pre-planned what we need to do. And we just after flowering, when we get to pea size stage, we would have counted bunches, used our historical uh, bunch weights, and we could work out more or less what our recovery and yeah. number of tons would be from particular vineyards. Mm. And then we kind of allocate tank space to that. But as you say, you know, you've, you've got to have plan A, B, and C yes. all in your mind all at once. And you've got to run around with a calculator because – the last thing you want to do is either overfill a tank yeah. and you'll have foam all bubbling out of it and, and a huge mess. Yeah. <laughs> um, or you could have just a little bit of wine in a big tank. Um, Which is a waste. And then you don't have enough. Mm. And also a big waste, uh, mm. uh, waste of space. But also you can end up with spoilage. Too much yes. oxygen in the tank. Yeah, of course. What, what grapes are you putting into your amphora? So we've already got um, some wonderful um, Chenin Blanc. That was the first, that, uh, that mm. and the Sauvignon Blanc that came in. And that's from the timepiece uh, projects that we're doing, the, the vines that my dad planted uh, yes. in 1983. Yes. And looking fantastic. The amphora really just bubbling away. Brilliant. And we've got some um, some Syrah in from last year, which will be, uh, which is really exciting. We're doing more Chenin um, more um and uh, also going to have some more Syrah this year. But that'll be, uh, you know, with some stems dried and then uh, fermented on there and then back in term four again. Yeah. And then, of course, you also have to you also have to work out some stuff is whole bunch pressed, other is yeah. hands de-stemmed and, and literally squeezed between the fingers of two virgins. I mean, it's just... Unbelievable, yeah. <laughs> unbelievably complicated to to Luckily program this. The fingers, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's it really is a hell of a lot more difficult than what most people give credit for to the wineries. It's it's a huge job. At the end of the day, a, how many tons yeah, will you have pressed? Yeah. This year it looks like somewhere around 750-ish tons. Um, so it all depends on the, on the recoveries that we're going to get from cab because, um, you know, that's, that's, there's quite a lot of cabs still out there and um, uh, it could end up around five tons per hectare, we think. Uh, but if it's a little more, a little less, it'll make uh, a big difference to our, our total number. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, the number of barrels that we'll need to fill at the same time. So... Just for the normal man in the streets, sort of brain to wrap around, if you've pressed 700 tons, how many tanks do you need in your cellar to efficiently facilitate the vinification of 700 tons of, of grapes? Well, to put it in, in context, we can't, um, we can't store everything in tank first and then have the luxury then of putting into barrel. Yes. Particularly with something like Chardonnay, you want to barrel ferment and have those really integrated and not very oaky flavors. So that's yeah. got to go into barrel right from the juice stage because otherwise we'd never have enough yes. tank space. Yes. So we have many, many of those sort of wines, Chenin um, and our best Chardonnays would all go into barrel yeah. and ferment in barrel. So it would form, it would be like used like a tank. Yes. Um, 
But the red wines then be, um, you know, wine would be stored in the tank and then go in. We also probably don't have enough space in a normal year to have all our red wines in tank and then go to barrel when it's calm. As in when it suits you, yeah. Yeah. So there's a stage three quarters of the way through the, um, through the, the, the vintage that we'll actually be putting Merlot, our best Merlots into barrel already. Yeah. Uh, after the primary fermentation, but it would go through its secondary fermentation or what they call malolactic, yeah. that we'll cover later on, on a later program. Um, and, uh, and, and that happens there because otherwise we're going to run out of tank space. Yeah. Gosh, it is just the most unbelievably scientific. It, there's a hell of a lot more that goes into harvest. You guys must be exhausted. How many weeks are we into harvest? A month? Yes. And, you know, South Africa has always had one of the longest harvests of any country. And it's just because of, you know, differing altitudes, uh, different um, uh, aspects, you know, mm-hmm. facing both False Bay and Table Bay means you're much cooler. Uh, but then you've got other slopes where um, grapes ripen much earlier. So, uh, yes. It's, uh, it's challenging, but it's also really exciting. No, it's amazing. And you, honestly, you are just so energized by by lots of hard work. I don't know how you manage it. Well, good luck. Carry on doing what you're doing. I'm excited. Your harvest is sounding absolutely brilliant. And we'll catch up next week. Today is Thursday, March 3rd. And this is your FT News Briefing. Sanctions on Russian energy exports are now on the table, and Federal Reserve Chair Jay Powell says he's sticking with the plan for raising rates. Plus, Russia's brutal attack on Ukraine has prompted Germany to transform its foreign and defense policy. Our Frankfurt correspondent calls it nothing short of a revolution. And it all happened in the space of a 30-minute or so a series of speeches in the Bundestag on, on Sunday morning. He'll talk about what that means for Germany's defense industry. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Oil prices shot above $113 a barrel on Wednesday. Big energy buyers are now shunning Russian supplies. And OPEC met yesterday. It refused to boost production over and above output increases that are already in the works. The White House and Western allies have so far avoided official sanctions on Russian energy exports. They're worried about hurting European economies. But yesterday, U.S. President Joe Biden said nothing is off the table. And U.S. lawmakers are also eager to ban Russian energy. Here's our Washington correspondent, Kieran Stacey. There is definitely momentum building, especially on Capitol Hill, to do something on this. Uh, It's regarded as the last great untouched part of sanctions policy. Um, So we have a bill doing the rounds on Capitol Hill from the Democratic Senator Ed Markey that would give the president explicit power to levy an oil embargo or uh, potentially even an oil and gas embargo on Russia. There seems to be a real kind of cross-party consensus building that something needs to be done about Russian oil. So I definitely wouldn't be surprised to see something maybe in the next couple of weeks. Kieran, would putting in this kind of ban make a difference? Yeah, U.S. doesn't use much Russian oil. Russian crude oil only accounts for about 3% of U.S. imports. So it's really a tiny amount which can be easily substituted. Net, the direct effect of the U.S. placing an oil embargo on Russia 
probably wouldn't have an impact on what the president really fears, which is prices at the petrol pump. The people I talk to say maybe one or two cents it could push prices up per gallon, but really nothing more than that, nothing that the consumer is particularly going to notice, especially when inflation is already high. The other reason it wouldn't make a direct impact is because there's pretty much a de facto embargo in place already. Simply put, the uh, refiners in the West do not want to buy Russian oil right now. They don't want to take that risk. They don't want to expose themselves politically. So the world has already shifted. An announcement of an embargo would kind of just be an official underlining of what has already started to happen in the market. So what's the holdup here, Kieran? Why not just go ahead and do it? I think there are a couple of things. Um, One is that the detail of the policy would actually need to be figured out. First question, does it also apply to gas? Uh, That would be a much bigger deal, especially for Europe. Um, Second question is, is there a way to ratchet down supplies without just saying, okay, we're going to cut you off tomorrow? The other thing that Joe Biden really wants to avoid is any kind of shock to the system. So even though the direct impact might be relatively small, there is a risk that the market overreacts to what the president does and the price of Brent does go spiking. And that's absolutely the last thing he wants to see. Kieran Stacey is the FT's Washington correspondent. Also in Washington, Federal Reserve Chair Jay Powell confirmed to U.S. lawmakers yesterday that he still wants a quarter-point interest rate rise in March. This is despite the economic uncertainty created by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. U.S. markets jumped after Powell's testimony. The S&P 500 ended the day nearly 2% higher. Here's our U.S. economics editor, Colby Smith, with more. There was some skepticism as to whether the Fed would actually proceed with an adjustment of interest rates uh, later this month in light of everything going on uh, with Ukraine and Russia. But I think he re- he wanted to clarify that the Fed is not looking at these geopolitical tensions as a reason to hit pause on any kind of monetary policy tightening. And instead, they're, they're going to push ahead here. But it's also important that he specified that this would be a quarter point interest rate increase because, you know, in the weeks leading up to this testimony, we'd been hearing from some Fed officials that the Fed should maybe be moving even more aggressively and raising interest rates by, let's say, a half of a percentage point. So this was Powell's opportunity to really kind of set the record straight and and get markets aligned with with their plans uh, in just a couple weeks' time. Colby Smith is the FT's U.S. economics editor. Another big ripple effect from the war in Ukraine has been a stunning turnaround in Germany's foreign and defense policy. After decades of minimizing defense spending, Germany's Chancellor Olaf Scholz convened a special session of the Bundestag this weekend and announced a 100 billion euro fund to modernize the military. Here's our Frankfurt correspondent, Joe Miller. I think it's fair to say there has been nothing short of a revolution in um, German policy in a number of spheres, in foreign policy, in defense policy, in energy policy, in finance policy. And it all happened in the space of a a 30 minute or so series of speeches in the Bundestag on, on Sunday morning. Joe's been writing about how this is transforming Germany's corporate landscape and the defense industry in particular. He told me about one executive named Armin Pappinger. 
It's fair to say that Amon Papage's name is not well known within Germany uh, and certainly not beyond Germany, at least until Monday morning. He is the CEO of Rheinmetall, which is Germany's largest uh, listed defense contractor. It makes tanks and ammunition and all sorts of armored vehicles. The industry as a whole has been sidelined in Germany for for many decades, partly for cultural reasons, um, obviously in a legacy of the the Second World War, but also because uh, increasingly investors were not particularly interested in such companies. In fact, the defense industry in Germany, especially the smaller companies, were having trouble as recently as a few weeks ago raising any money using domestic banks. But come Monday morning, Papager and a whole load of other CEOs from companies like uh, Hensoldt, which is one of the other big defense contractors in Germany, were on a call uh, with the German government who were begging them to ramp up their operations with immediate effect. So these companies are suddenly in the spotlight and their share prices has been doubling as a result, um, as has lots of other companies across the sector. Mm. Yeah, I, you know, I, I want to ask you about that. What are the other industries that are being affected by the shift in German defense policy? Is there kind of a trickle-down effect here? There is a trickle-down effect, but it will take a little while longer. So, for example, one of the, the big group of companies are steelmakers, uh, because obviously we, there's now an enormous demand for, for steel, for tanks and for missiles, etc. But it's fair to say that what's happened recently is because of the COVID crisis, a lot of these contractors have large stockpiles already because they were worried that supply of raw materials would be held up. So it will take a while until the demand trickles through. And then you've got the sort of uh, auxiliary suppliers, the people like Genoptic, which is a company that makes sites that go on uh, on sniper rifles, for example. You know, they will also be seeing an increase in demand and their shares have been ticking up as well, although not quite as high as the sort of main defense contractors. Are there people pushing back on Germany's movements now? There are some, but uh, it's fair to say that they're few and far between for now. Um, I think if and when things quieten down, then you may find that a few people, both on the uh, hard left in Germany and on the far right, you know, respond to this and criticize this this increased spend uh, for various different reasons. But astonishingly, given how drastic a shift in policy this is, there's been almost no public criticism of, of Germany's decision. Joe Miller is the FT's Frankfurt correspondent. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. One more thing before we go, I'll be hosting a discussion on Twitter Spaces today with several FT journalists about how the war in Ukraine is impacting the global economy. Join me at 4 p.m. London, 11 a.m. New York as I talk with Gideon Rockman, Robin Wigglesworth, and Claire Jones. I'll tweet out the link to it today from my Twitter account. My handle is at M-F-I-L-I-P-P-I-N-O. We'll also have a link in the show notes. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. That's it from the team this hour. Coming up on Friday is the Biz News Power Hour Digest Edition. Think of it as the best of or a compilation of Biz News' most downloaded interviews from the week. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Power Hour, brought to you by the team at Biz News.